You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's preacher is Pastor Brian Flammy. In the name of Jesus, amen. This Good Friday, gathered here to hear the, the preaching of Jesus' suffering and death and burial. And it's important that you and I both understand that this isn't some sort of funeral service for Jesus. You and I know that Jesus, our Savior, He lives. And yet, on this day, He suffers and dies. This isn't like sometimes when you watch in the movies, uh, one of the main protagonists, uh, the hero, will oftentimes fall into such dire straits that people think him dead. And then he miraculously shows up and completes his mission and saves the day. And it turns out his his close uh, uh, encounter with disaster was just that. It was just a brief brush against death. It wasn't actually death. But it is important for you and I to know that when we consider Jesus and his suffering upon the cross, and yes, his death, that it's a real death. It's not a close call. It's the real thing. He endures it in the deepest, in the deepest way imaginable. Inasmuch as you and I will one day die, inasmuch as those who have gone before us, the fellow saints in the faith have died and are even now at rest in their tombs, so it was with Christ. And so we must ask ourselves, what, what do we do? What do we make? How do we perceive of Jesus' cross? How do you feel when you, when you ponder the fact that the Lord of life, his body, was lifeless and hanging from beams of wood, and fastened there by nails. Most people, when, when they consider the cross and the crucifixion, I think that the natural reaction would be to, to look down in a way, uh, to avert your eyes. You don't want to perceive the, the shame and the horror of what you are seeing. And who wants to admit that their Lord, who had entered this world, attended by the songs of angels, the glory of heaven, who would want to admit that this Lord has come to such a shameful and embarrassing death? And who would want this corpse for their Savior and their God? And you know what? Your instincts are onto something. There is nothing intrinsically noble or good about an instrument of torturous execution. It's an evil thing. Same thing with death. There's nothing intrinsically good about death. It is evil. You don't want to look at it because it is, it is an attack upon God's creation and his life. And in fact, concerning the type of, of uh, instrument of execution 
that we see in Jesus' own death, Moses says, if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. It's almost as if the extra, there's, there's an extra amount of shame or, cur- or cursedness that comes with hanging on the cross, even to the point where it's so unbearable for the, for the body to, to hang on to this curse by hanging on the cross overnight that you have to get it off quickly and put it into the ground quickly so that everyone will, re- will, will forget or put out of their minds for a short while the great shame and the great humiliation that was there. So now, what do we think of Jesus? He hung on a tree. Was he cursed by God? This man whom the Father himself had embraced with his word by saying, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. The Scriptures... The Scriptures, dear saints, cannot be broken. And in fact, it's true that this man who was once called beloved, now in the moment of the cross, in the moment of his bleeding and suffering and and dying, he is cursed. He has done nothing to deserve this. He was the opposite. He was righteous. He didn't make a mistake by stumbling into the wrong place at the wrong time. In fact, Jesus himself says, for this purpose, for the purpose of being a curse, I have come to this hour. And then he goes further than that. He says that this curse is his glory. It's his glorification. And tonight, dear saints, you joy and rejoice and give glory to God that this cursed Savior is yours. There are three specific things that we perceive at the cross. Now, the world, the demons, and your flesh are going to tempt you to see death and failure and shame and see them absolutely. Like, that is exactly what defines Christ's cross. They'll say, if you look close enough upon Christ hanging upon the cross, you will not see anything else. But St. Paul says... We don't judge Christ, nor his cross for that matter, according to the flesh, like the others do. We perceive Christ and his cross spiritually, that is, according to God's word. And for that reason, we perceive through the ears, through our ears, three things. The the severity of our sin, the price of our redemption, and and then the depth of God's love. Concerning sin. One of the devil's chief works is to, or at least the work that gets the most traction, uh, is to say that sinning is human. It's part of who you are. Uh, that in a moment of anger, when you curse and you blaspheme Christ's name, uh, this is something that everybody does. It just sort of tumbled off of your lips. How wrong can it be? Nobody else heard, so what's the harm? God didn't strike me down. But it's with no small amount of irony that it's always, you know, the, the sins against, against God, according to the first table of the law, the first three commandments, that always seem the least harmful. 
As if Adam's idolatry only resulted in a slap on the wrist or, you know, Pharaoh's hardness of heart only resulted in, in a little bit of angry uh, uh, yelling at by Moses. To tell you the truth, we usually pay more attention to sins against the second table. You know, the commandments 4 through 10. Sins against our neighbor. Because it's there that our anger has an object that we can see with our eyes or hit with our fists. And then when they lash back out at us and tell us what we have done wrong or when we are brought up in charges by the authorities, then the terrors of conscience and the penalties for guilt are, are, are felt. You know, they're real. We can... If you've ever had to stand before the man, uh, you know what I mean. And yet, both according to commandments against God and against your neighbor, St. Paul writes, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And you sow sin. And you reap death. St. Paul writes, the wages of sin is death. And James says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become accountable for all of it. All of it. Your secret sins are laid bare in the light of God's presence. And it's not just physical death and temporal punishments that come as a result of your sin that you should be worried about, but it's in fact the outer darkness of spiritual torment. It's hell. And when you look upon Jesus suffering upon the cross, that is what you see. Spiritual suffering. And you hear it when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so if you ever think that your sins go unnoticed, if you think that they have no consequences, if nobody notices, then ponder Jesus' emotional, emotional, spiritual, and physical sufferings, his torment. Consider what is inflicted upon him, the mockery, the stripes, the blood, the sweat, the agony, and death. This is the divine wrath against sin. And it is a consuming fire. We should also think that when Jesus suffers this wrath, the reason why it hurts so much to be accused by the law in this way is because you and I know that it is it is I that deserve that deserves to be upon that cross. Suffering in Jesus' place. I am the one who deserves hell. The law has laid bare my iniquity, and I know that it's not Jesus who needs to be there, it's me. But there Jesus hangs. Under your curse, bearing your guilt. And he doesn't just do it for you. He dies under the curse of sin for the whole world. Which makes his sufferings infinitely greater. St. John the Baptist points at the cursed Christ and he says, Behold, 
the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. There's a reason why it had to be Jesus to take away the sin of the whole world. And this is, in fact, the mystery and the purpose of his holy incarnation. The reason why the Son of God became a human being. The end of Christmas isn't isn't a little baby lying in a manger. The end of Christmas is the cross. It's so that through this one death, through God's death, the Creator would give to His creation mercy. God's Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, who is one in substance with the Father and the Holy Ghost, became a man to die, to be your sacrifice, to stand in your place under divine wrath, to suffer your curse, to die your death. And Isaiah makes it sure and certain for us. He says, surely he, that is Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And in fact, every time in the Holy Scriptures, Saint, you know, Pastor Wolfmuller likes to talk about the conversation between the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And whenever in the Scriptures this conversation is revealed to us, it is the conversation of, of the Son's death. It's an impossibility considered according... <laughs> considered according to human reason when you're reading the Old Testament, but all the promises are there. God has set his mind that he would do it. This is the price of salvation, and Jesus gladly pays it. Human blood cannot do this. A man can only die for himself. He can only suffer for his own iniquity. But this isn't a man. This is Emmanuel, God with us. He bears our flesh. He bears our flesh so that he can pour out his priceless divine blood so that he can die. What is the result of this unimaginable and priceless offering for sin. When it comes down to it, what do you gain from Jesus' death? You gain a God whose whose wrath has been spent. And how do you know that? It's because Jesus gives you his words. Yesterday, we heard about the distinction between where salvation is obtained, that is, through Jesus' all-atoning sacrifice upon the cross, and how that salvation is given out and distributed and applied to you, made yours. Yesterday, Monday, Thursday, we heard about the institution of the Holy Supper, that Jesus gives his body and blood for you to eat and to drink for your forgiveness. And now even the same thing is happening today on Good Friday because 
coming forth from Jesus' mouth while he is hanging upon the cross is his word. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He says to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And he says, I am forsaken. And then he says, it is finished. I have borne all of the wrath of God, all of his anger, all of the forsakenness, and it is enough. It is done. Jesus gives you this word, this word of the cross, and it flows, as it were, like the precious blood of ink that fills up all of the gracious promises of Holy Scripture. The gospel that you hear every Sunday, the gospel that you cling to in faith. It's true that in the world you get a sense that God loves you. You get food to eat, you know, a place to lay down and to sleep, wine to drink. But there is no certainty there because there, mingled with the gifts, comes the wrath and the anger and the displeasure of God. There is death and there is no way around it. But now see what happens when Jesus speaks. There you see a heavenly Father who loves you, who tells his Son to go forth and to die for your sins. You see a love that is greater than just the love that gives to you uh, the needs that you need for this body and life, but a love that gives you eternal life, a self-sacrificing and redeeming love, a love that makes all things new. So once again, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing intrinsically noble or good about a cross as an instrument of torture and death. But bound together with this cross, with Jesus' cross, at his suffering and death, is a word. A word that gives eternal life. That is preached tonight and every Sunday and every day of your lives that you hear the Holy Scriptures and you believe them. They are given to you for your comfort. The world looks at Jesus' cross and sees shame. But now you look at it and see the wages of sin and and, and the price of your redemption. The world looks at Jesus' lifeless body and they see a tragedy, but you look at Jesus' body and you see the portal to eternal life. The curse has become glory. And now you boast and rejoice that this is your God. Even in three days, when Jesus is raised from the dead and his sacrifice is vindicated by God the Father for your justification, how does Jesus present himself to his disciples? He shows them his hands, his feet, and his side, And as if it's not enough for their eyes, he says, come and touch them. These are my crowning jewels, my glory. And as it was for the disciples' comfort and joy, so they are for you. Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope.